Welcome to Doctors at Work. My name is Matt Daniel and this podcast is about doctors' careers. Today I'm having a conversation with Ellen Nelson Rowe and we're talking about how to succeed in your first foundation job. Ellen has just completed hers. Now starting work as a doctor must be one of the most stressful career transitions. And in this episode, Ellen advises others to be ready for the significant jump in responsibility and also to recognize that actually they do have a large body of knowledge to call on. Self-care is important too, both for short-term stress management as well as for long-term career longevity. And whilst the focus may be on your clinical job, doctors also need to remember the importance of learning, portfolio building and longer-term career planning. Welcome Ellen, tell me a little bit about yourself. Hello, so I'm Ellen. I'm an F1 doctor in the East Midlands. Um, I studied at Cardiff University, uh, graduated last July. Um, a bit more about myself. Um, I'm really interested in surgery. That's what I want to do for my future career, uh, particularly ENT as well, actually. Um, and I'm also... Uh, I'd like to have like a portfolio career. So I'm involved in a lot of leadership. Um, I'm on the academic foundation programme for medical education. Um, and I like to keep myself busy outside of work. <laughs> and I invited you to talk about how to succeed in your first F1 post because you've just completed your first F1 post. So yes. tell me, what was it like? Wow, it was a bit of a whirlwind. <laughs> so I started on general surgery, which I think is very well known that general surgery is probably one of the busiest jobs to start on um, as an F1. Um, but I'm really glad I did start on it because I think it propels you uh, just to really just learn on the job. Um, everyone always talks about the jump between med school and F1 and until you go through it yourself, it's hard to really understand like the big jump and I think the main reasons for that is I think first of all the responsibility I think as a medical student often you can say oh I've got teaching and just leave off early but actually you, the patients truly do become your priorities if it's 5pm and, and a patient is sick you can't just go all the time sometimes you do have to stay Um, I think the the length, the duration, the shift as well is quite a big shift because we didn't really do many on calls or like long 12 hour shifts in med school. And actually just even getting accustomed to like eating and breaks, um, that's been really hard. Um, but also just in terms of what you're experiencing, you know, when it comes to, for example, end of life care or acutely unwell patients, um, there's only so much simulation you can do at med school. But until you're actually thrown into the deep end um, and actually, you know, teach you know doing it yourself on the board um I think there's a lot to learn I think my first few weeks I think the first time experiences lots of things kind of panics you and after a while you just become so accustomed to it um but I, I realized that as I progressed through the rotation so at first I was really nervous wasn't sure um and then as you start getting that confidence and experience by the end of it even though I finished on night shift because I um built so much experience just from the past three months it's just amazing the steep learning curve that you go through so you have to you know when they have that graph where you kind of learn and then get that sort of graph it really is like that <laughs> let's go back to to maybe when you finish medical school I'm interested in this idea of, of how much of a jump it is I mean what what were you expecting before you started hmm, good question um I think when you started as a final year med student I think you just expect that you're doing quote unquote a lot of the admin work, so the discharge letters, someone's of bloods, um, you you know, kind of scribing a ward round. Um, I don't think I actually had fully um 
anticipated how much you you start off on and um, what I mean by that is say if you know you're on call or um you know you're on night shifts you know if you're you're usually are the first person who is called unless it is serious like for acutely unwell patient and actually although you know you do escalate for help the fact that you are the first point of call and you sort of have to know what is the right thing to initiate I think can be quite nerving I, I don't think I anticipated how much of responsibility that actually is um and I think what else did I expect? Um, I think I expected less responsibility, actually, I think, to contradict myself. <laughs> I didn't expect to be able to do as much as you get to do as an F1 or um, just knowing where your limitations are. Actually, you know, you really are thrown in and you you are still respected as a doctor because in my head I thought okay I'm an F1 so they're still going to sort of treat me as like a baby doctor but actually no you're a you're a doctor regardless and then obviously there's only certain things within your limitation depending on your your specialty of training as well. So certainly there's something there you know we can all ask for help isn't it even even mm. as consultants we ask for help yeah so you know yeah. that, that's not unique um, to foundation doctor but but it's it sounds like that there's a real big difference in that, you know, one day you're a student and the next day you're a doctor yeah. and you have all of these responsibilities uh, as well as privileges and, and duties. Yeah, it was a big jump for me because we I graduated on the 17th of July and then our induction was on the 24th of July. So I didn't really have much time to just like really just kind of just relax into it. It was just straight into it. <laughs> how, how did um, how did your friends deal with that all of a sudden you have all of this responsibility. What did, what was everybody else saying? I think everyone cried a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I don't mean that jovially. I, I, I know I definitely cried a lot more in the like in the first months than I, I do now. Um, but I think those are sort of tears of sort of just overwhelm. It's quite overwhelming um, and tears of frustration as well, because I think, I know myself uh, I'm quite a perfectionist I like being I like being good at what I do so when I feel like I'm not in control of a situation or I don't have the that we're not fully equipped to deal with something I find that really frustrating um so I think a lot of people if anything found it quite overwhelming particularly you know your first crash call or your first um you know kind of desk confirmation when it's you signing like the death certificates like when you feel that that when you when you really particularly those like quote-unquote life or death sort of scenarios until you experience that for the first time and your name is being signed on stuff as the doctor I think you really that when I really, really set in for me and how how did you deal with those kind of how emotionally how did you deal with that I think debriefing is so important um I uh I, I think I was saying to you uh, earlier that so I've moved closer to home now uh before I used to live um four hours away from home because of uni and now home is only half an hour away which is really great so there were just sometimes I just went home for the weekend just to really just unwind remove myself just from the environment um calling my friends who in the same scenario starting F1 uh, it was really important to talk about it because you it's very hard to leave the job at work you, you think about stuff at home a lot but actually processing with other people is so important and also making sure that you're debriefing it with your seniors so um I remember my first uh crash call was probably like four days into me starting F1 and and I know it sounds very silly but I just wasn't expecting it and of course you're never expecting it but you know when you just thought okay that's going to come a bit later on um and I, I was just 
I was just like a deer in the headlights. I was just really just overwhelmed by it. Um, and actually, I was really grateful for the consultant and registrar to sit down with me and talk it through. And um, it, it was it's really comforting as well. Um, I've also heard of, uh, not my hospital, but I know my other friends, um, they actually have regular like group therapy they actually have for their stuff as well, which is really great as well. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. And in terms of um, preparing people for um, what F1 is like, what, what, what advice or what tips would you have for somebody who's finishing medical school? So I think there's twofold to it. So I think there's the experience and there's the portfolio bit. So um, I don't think people understand the portfolio requirements to F1 as well because the requirements have been a lot more relaxed. So uh, we use a system called Horus in England where we upload all of our kind of um, mini CACSs, CBDs, uh, those sort of kind of statutory requirements. Previously, there was a set number you had to achieve per rotation, um, but now they sort of removed that. So you, it's it's down to you. You have to set your own goals of what you'd like to achieve each rotation. Um, and I think if you're not a naturally goal-oriented person, that'd be quite difficult because you're not quite sure how much you're meant to do. And also, you you have to self-motivate yourself to keep your portfolio up to date. Um, personally, I don't think they explain the portfolio very well. So I think it's really important that people starting F1, once you get access to those sort of portfolios, is really going through the websites, going through the help information and listening to videos just to, just so you understand what are the different types of um, skills and cases that you can get signed off that support for your portfolio. The importance of writing reflections is really good as well um, and tracking your teaching and learning because I think what will happen is when we get to ARCP time, a lot of people, if you're not staying on top of it and then all of a sudden you're trying to backdate everything till the year, it, it's very difficult to do. So actually how important it is to regularly stay on top of your portfolio. Um, and I think we're, we're sort of trained to do that through med school. Like every single rotation in med school is just, I need to get the signed off, I need to get signed off. And I don't think people realise it. that's just the beginning. You, you, there's constantly more things you have to get signed off, you know, beyond uh, med school. So I think people don't realise the extent of that. And then the the second part in terms of preparing for the experience, um, I think actually just listening, I know it sounds silly, but I listen to quite a few um, YouTube videos of kind of F1 kind of uh, blogs and vlogs of people just sharing their experiences. And I think that was quite useful because I really heard some first-hand experiences knowing what to expect. Um, the, usually you get the, um, when you sign up for the MDU, we get the Oxford Handbooks for Foundation Training. That was really useful just to read over as well because all, although you've been studying for finals, um, I mean, at my uni, we did finals in fourth year. So actually, my knowledge wasn't as on point as those who do their finals in final year. So actually making sure you've just got a basic general line of uh, information is important. And that's even more particularly important because although I started on general surgery, as the F1, you have to deal with all the medical stuff. Um, so the registrar did deal with just the surgery. But when it comes to high blood sugars, that's your responsibility. So you need to make sure you've got a bit of baseline um, across the whole thing. Uh, yeah, that's some things there. It, it's interesting because there's so many competing things. And certainly if I think of that blood sugar, you know, that I, I very much understand that because if I think the patients that I see, if there's anything that is that is not pediatric airway related, I know very, very little about it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and you're right, because, you know, because we, we totally rely 
on you know the foundation doctors or the core trainees to have that to have that general medical knowledge mm. um, and and also you know yeah you know m- much more about high blood sugars than i do i might be the <laughs> consultants yeah but you know you know much more about high blood sugars than i do so so and, and it's really interesting that that jump in responsibility that, that perhaps pe- people people actually people don't realize how much they know and that and that often they do know more than the consultant mm-hmm. um cert- certainly for some of the kind of general um, medical stuff you know if you work with consultants that that, that are um, specialized but mm-hmm. you, you've got all of these competing priorities because you've got to turn up and do the job because you know that's where you paid you paid to do the job mm-hmm. but then you also you've got to learn somewhere along the line and you've got to demonstrate that you progress in your careers with the portfolio and ARCPs and by the way that carries on for the rest of existence also yeah so, so I've heard <laughs> completely echo that that tip about get keeping your portfolio going because even as a consultant you still have to do all of that yeah um, so so um, so de- definitely suggest that um, and then you've got to progress your career as well because you know because you've got to then build your CV in order mm-hmm. to apply for 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 um, for the next step of your career so mm-hmm. so many competing priorities I mean how, how do you balance all of those things I think it depends on the type of person you are so I'm very much a forward thinker I almost think tears in advance all the time so uh, the moment that I got my specialized foundation program job I was always I was already thinking okay so after this job what am I doing after this so um I'm already in my mind trying to decide am I going to do an F year or am I just going to apply straight for core surgical training which I think I will just try and apply and see because it's very competitive um but already you have to think well if if I want to apply for core surgical training, that's something I have to do four months into me starting F2. So actually, not only do I need to, F1 is all about figuring out how to be a foundation doctor. It's also about preparing for the next step to apply for the next job, um, which actually I think, and, and it's it's perfectly okay if you don't know what you don't, if you don't know what you want to do. Um, but I think if you do know what you want to do, being prepared is so important and actually uh, having some sort of kind of landmarks and goals setting for the future is really important. Um, we, I mean, because I'm quite interested in leadership, I'm all about five-year plans and two-year plans. So I'm naturally inclined that way. So I know not many people are like that. Um, but you, you have to think ahead to know what your priorities are and also be flexible to know that things will come up um, and, you know, so know what your priorities are priorities are whether that is family whether is that your career or that is a bit of both or just enjoying life and knowing what your values are and knowing when to say no I think as someone who's quite busy like myself and I I say yes to lots of things but as I'm getting older and I'm realizing how important rest is actually and being able to block off your time so I'm very strict with my time so before I would do meetings on Sundays um and as I got older and I strengthened my faith as well like I'm not going to do meetings when I have church or if I've got church responsibilities because that's my priority um or if I've you know if my family is ill my my priority is going to be with my family so it's it's being adaptable but having a long-term goal in mind and breaking it those down to the short-term goals I think is really important I hope you're enjoying the show please click subscribe so you'll be notified when new episodes become available This podcast is part of my mission to help doctors create successful and meaningful careers. You can be part of that mission too by forwarding this show to one person who you think might benefit from listening. Thank you. Now on with the show.
if, if I go back to the people that don't know what um, they want to do, I mean, what, mm. what advice would you give to somebody who says, I, I really have no idea what I'm going to do? I think it's important to broaden your base if you don't know what you want to do, because for all sorts of things, there's so, there's always generic things that is applicable to whatever career you're going into. So for most careers, you're going to have to share involvement in audits or um involvements for example in teaching you can still do generic audits and get involved in support a medical student just to build a generic baseline so you've got something and then when and then try to get experience in different specialties so use your make the most of your actual foundation rotations to know if it's what you want to do so I'm really glad that I chose to do my surgery rotation first um because although I knew I, knew I wanted to do surgery since medical school a part of me was still like okay this is my blanket cushion to decide if I don't want to do surgery this is it because then I've got the rest of F1 to sort of change my mind um in F1 you also have the opportunity to do taster weeks as well so I'm trying to organize mine at the moment um make the most of those opportunities you also get self-development time as well to make the most of those although you can use them to be at home (laughs) they should be for career and self-development opportunities make make the opportunity to go and do that as well and just explore and just talk to people um ahead of you go in the mess and ask people what they're doing so Yeah. yeah So there's sort of two 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 overarching things there for me. You know, one is about okay, you don't know what to do. How are you going to find out? Hmm. Sort of how how are you going to make that decision? How are you going to find out? You know, and and that's I don't know what to do now, but what's my plan to making hmm. that decision? So that's number one. And then number two is that 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 at some stage you're going to be having to apply and you're going to need a portfolio and a good CV. So the fact that you don't know what to do, that that doesn't stop you building mm. a really, really good portfolio with, with yeah. rock solid, you know, projects um, or, or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So I always try to aim, um, try and do like an audit per rotation. I think it's very doable. Um, there's always opportunities to get involved with kind of just your department audits anyway, um, and then try and seek other opportunities. So, um, because I'm doing the the specialised foundation programme with my dad, I didn't actually have ENT as part of one of my foundation rotations. So I'm making sure that I'm going out to find opportunities like outside of that so that I'm still inclined with what I want to do and stay staying on top of it. There's always a way if you're determined. Yeah. And um, you talked in the beginning about the the, the long shifts mm. uh, and sort of in how I mean, I'm guessing maybe both physically and emotionally challenging that is. So tell tell me about, you know, this jump from, you know, sitting in a lecture for three hours or an hour and a half to all of a sudden having to be on your feet for 12 hours. It's 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 a big jump. (laughs) I I think, you you know, it's quite interesting because before you start F1, everyone's like, make sure you take breaks, make sure you take breaks. Until you're actually doing those shifts, you realise how easy it is to go without having a break. And I remember at the start of F1, I was going through 12-hour shifts only only having 15-minute breaks. Or what I was doing, I was just eating in front of a computer and continuing to write discharge letters. And I got to a point where I was just so exhausted, particularly when you have the Monday to Thursdays, 8 to late Thursday consecutively, um, go home, sleep, repeat. I just felt like I was just in a rut and I wasn't able to make the most of my evenings and although sometimes you're just so tired you just have to sleep um I wasn't looking after myself well-being so some advice I always do is actually try to make sure you go away to have your lunch because actually just have a break from the environment that you're in um whether that is just going to the mess or just going to sit in Costa like it's really important um because 
it's very easy not to take a break and it's actually very scary how easy it is to do that um I think lots of water I know it's um kind of basic but it's so easy to go so long without drinking any water and um, I'm I'm known for having snacks I always have like a tub of grapes or like an apple in my bag because you actually need it to keep on going because it was really hard going and because it was quite a quick turnaround of patients particularly when you're on call and you're walking all over the hospital I'm easily doing over 10,000 steps every time I'm on call you you need to like keep your energy up because it's it is exhausting and that's why going to the gym and doing activities outside of the work is really important as well just to keep your overall strength and help up, help up anyway mm-hmm. i guess people would say oh, i'm busy i've got all of this to do i haven't got time to eat um you know what what would you say to that batch cooking okay. <laughs> um, if you don't batch cook in uni you have to batch cook now I'm, i i've kept that going um i i'm trying not to fall i mean where I work we have subway one minute walk from the mess which is probably the most <laughs> strategically placed subway ever um, and there have been times I'm like oh I, I wouldn't mind a subway actually bringing your own food and batch cooking is really good so in the weekends what I do I kind of iron my scrubs do all my batch cooking for the week and it you make you feel so much better for actually and also just saving money because I think that's something foundation doctors aren't good at is actually prioritizing this money that you suddenly have because you had no money in medical school and now you do <laughs> it's interesting actually i wish i'd known that because am i from, from me from when i started medical school to kind of halfway through my registrar years i put on weight 40 kilos wow. starting i mean I've, I've, I've lost it and kept it on but, but it's actually re- really really interesting sort of how for me personally how how unhealthy yeah sort of, I, and I, I think I, also that environment of you know oh let me just buy it just Costa or oh, anybody want a Costa just those even just those tapping your card on those machines and it piles up and you don't realize that actually what you're putting into your body actually isn't helping you and I I found that I put on a, a lot of weight in my first rotation as well just because I was snacking so much because I was so hungry but also just kind of comfort eating when I get home don't really know what to do with myself so you, you really do have to find that balance there's something for me there about um a mindset that asks, what what's the consequences? You know, okay, so I'm 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 eating rubbish, I'm not resting, I'm not taking breaks, you know, what what's the consequences? And mm. I sort of guess certainly if I think, you know, for me personally, the consequences are, you know, I'm tetchy, I'm bad tempered, mm. sort of, you know, I get resentful, burnout. Mm. So, you know, that that's the consequences. And and it's very easy to say, oh, today I'm going to work hard. Today I'm going to go without a break. Today I'm mm. going to go without food. Well, you know, that that's okay today, but that's not a strategy no. for the next 15 And it, it has a secondary impact on your friendships and your family. Um, I made an intentional decision sort of not to kind of plan stuff kind of two months into me starting. I gave myself my first kind of a month and a half to two months and, uh, not planning things just to give myself time to adjust you know it's a new city it's a new job it's a new church there's a lot of change at once of quite overwhelming so actually having to commit to kind of events and activities and feeling really guilty you can't attend I don't want to put that added pressure on myself just wanted to see what it was like and then find the balance mm-hmm. um but actually sometimes when you're so exhausted and you know you do what you would like to go out and see your friend and you feel really guilty that you can't because you're so tired that's okay but you you do have to find that balance I I, I think I realized almost after a month in um it's like I'm taking ownership of my time here I'm not gonna let my job be the, the sole thing what I do the job is just a job and I I have a life as well and I think people need to remember that this is not 
you need to have that distinguishment between what is you and what is the job. Um, otherwise, you, you probably will get quite suffocated with it. Mm-hmm. So let's um, let's wrap um, this up then. So what would be your top tips for doctors at work? So I think my first tip is prioritise your well-being. Um, make sure you've got a support network to debrief about the things that you're encountering, uh, making sure that you make the use of your supervisors and really escalate if you have concern. Uh, my second tip, also well-being related, is make sure you eat well, plan your food um, and really just look after your body. If you do have time to go to the gym or go for walks, do it. Uh, third tip is being staying and preparing um, is really important. So portfolio, set aside some time, maybe once every two weeks or so, just making sure that you're staying on top of your learning and tracking your teaching and your cases as well. Uh, set goals for what you want to achieve in your rotation is really important. Uh, my fourth tip um, would be, um, I think, just all about making the most of your colleagues as well um you really have to work collaboratively when you're starting an f1 and relying on others and helping each other out make the inter- make the intentional effort to get to know your colleagues so you you, know, like you might be a bit of an introvert but actually make the effort to maybe go to one f1 social or organize a team dinner which i did and i found that i really helped with the dynamics of the team people are working with and i think that's really important because you want to build the networks and then my final fifth tip um would just be just to say you're not alone and what i mean by that is that you really do ask for help um i i found that when i first started i always felt a bit embarrassed to ask for help but actually i learned so much by asking questions and people expect you to ask for help and in fact if you're not asking for help they're sort of concerned on that so uh, make sure you do wonderful thank you very much ellen thank you